Good morning, church. So glad to be back with you. Glad that you're here. To all our guests in the assembly, we're grateful. Guys, I want to bring a message on discipleship today. Uh, Take up your cross and follow me. What did Jesus really mean when he said that? Well, uh, we're going to only take a scratch, a surface look with all the scriptures that are available to us as to what kind of disciple we should be. We're going to look at several concepts or ideas this morning. In Lanarkshire, Scotland, a family sat around a frugal meal to say farewell to a son. He read the 121st Psalm, he said a prayer, and he walked the muddy streets to Glasgow. He boarded a ship for Africa. Thirty years later, he was found on his knees, dead, in a lowly grass hut. Instead of uh, a pauper's grave, he was buried in Westminster, London, England. And so you'd have to wonder the process. How could someone go from a hut so humble to a grave so glorious? Well, it's because medical doctor and missionary David Livingston said, I put no value in anything I possess, save in terms the kingdom of God. He was only quoting words by a man by the name of Jesus 1,900 years earlier. Uh, Jesus uh, has said that we must put him and the kingdom first. When we put his kingdom first and his righteousness, then all the other things will come together. They will fall into place. America is in sad shape today because we are putting all the things of life first. And Jesus is last place, or no place at all. Take up your cross and follow me. And so, what does it mean to be a Christian? There is a group called Barna, Barna Research Group. And they did a survey one time, and they asked Americans, what do Americans think it means to be a Christian? And so, the responses were crazy. It shows me America doesn't know what it means to be a Christian. Let me share some of the results. 19% of those surveyed said it means to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and live for Him. Boy, that should have gotten a larger percentage. But it was 19%, and praise God for the 19% that knew. 22% of Americans admitted they didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. And then 21% said, well, I I think it means that you live differently than other people. 14% said, it means to love other people. Another 14% said, it means to trust in God or believe in God. 11% of Americans said, it means that you go to church and you're religious. 10% said, uh, it's just, it, it means you're a good person. And anybody can be a Christian. Just be a good person, and that seals the deal. And so, really, the survey revealed that America really doesn't know what it means to be a Christian. In fact, if you would take the name Christian, do you realize that the name Christian is only mentioned three times in the Bible? But the word disciple, disciple is mentioned over 260 times. So what I would like to do is be able to describe what Jesus said about being his disciple. And if we can nail that down, 
I believe then you'll know what it means to be a Christian. My goal, my desire is to help us to grow in learning what Jesus meant when he said, come and be my disciple. And so I'd like for everyone to turn in your scriptures, please, to John's gospel. There's Matthew, there's Mark, Luke, John. It's before the book of Acts in your New Testament. So just fan through the pages and you're going to find John. It's a, it's a large gospel. And I want us to turn to chapter 6 and look at verses 54 through 58. Disciples, as you can see in the notes on the screen, disciples uh, savor, savor the Savior. All right, 54 through 58. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Well, that word in eat in the translation that you may be carrying, and in the ESV it said, whoever feeds on me. That word is a word that describes to gnaw. It describes to chew slowly. And that's why I've called it to savor, to savor the Savior. Because, see, we're not in Christianity. We're not in the church for a quick fix. We are here for the long haul. And that's, we, we are here till death, until we go to meet the Lord. So we savor the Savior. How many of you like good seafood? All right. Oh, well, a good number. How many of you, you probably don't have it all the time, but you like a good juicy steak? Huh? Yeah. With all the trimmings of the baked potato and everything. Yeah, sure we do. Uh, How about what I call, I, I have nicknamed something, the Southern Man's Caviar. And I love boiled peanuts. Come on, anybody. Is there somebody? One hand. One, one, Joe. Thank you. Anybody else? All right. Next fellowship dinner, I'm breaking out a can of boiled peanuts. We have got to try them. Many will not eat them. They say they're slimy. Others say, mmm, they're delicious. Okay. Well, in my analogy, Jesus. We love him. We savor him. We cherish, we adore, we walk, we love Jesus Christ. And we are in a relationship with him. Now, I know the world is enticing. I I know that the world has an allurement, but I'm going to tell you something. That the world is no more than cotton candy. It's a five-minute fix. That's all the world is. And so Jesus is encouraging us to give up the world, and while we walk this earth, we savor him and not this world. If you could 
If you can grow in your spiritual walk with Jesus to that point, that, my friends, is a disciple. Jesus is not a fad. You know what a fad is. I looked it up for you. It's an intense enthusiasm for something, especially one that is short-lived and without basis of quality. That's not Jesus. Jesus is not a fad. Jesus is not an infatuation. He's not a compulsion. He's not a mania. He's not a fixation. He's not a whim. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. He is the bread of heaven, and we feast upon him from the moment of our uh, uh, conversion into him till the day he comes to pick us up, to the day of the return of Jesus Christ. And you and I might go to the grave, and our body begins to decay there. But may our church family say we were faithful to Jesus as a disciple. And may those that don't know what a Christian is be able to say, I think they were one. I don't really, the world doesn't know what a Christian is, but I think my brother and my sister were, and were a Christian. We're in Christ for the long haul. And now as Jesus taught that day, Look what else he said in the context of being a disciple. I want to back up to verses 44 and 45. So go back a page if you have to and pick up 44 and 45. Listen to what it says. Jesus answered, uh, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It, It is written in the prophet's, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Listen, number one, uh, the Father sets the terms of coming to Jesus. The Father sets the terms of discipleship. He did not leave it up to you, and he did not leave it up to me that I would set the terms, and what I say is a Christian is a Christian. No, it is spelled out in the Word of God. And we must gather up our thoughts about what a follower of Jesus is by studying the Word. That will make us a disciple. That will make us a Christian. But not only that, we must make ourselves available to be taught. We claim to be a Christian. Well, then you're making yourself available to be taught. You are in a Bible study with other Christians somewhere. You might be in an in-home Bible study. You you might be at a teenager's uh, Wednesday afternoon. You you might be in with some friends getting together to study the Bible and pray together. You may be in what we have a Bible study at 9 o'clock right here on the property, and we're starting our new class next Sunday. So if you signed up, we purchased a book for you. It's free to you, and you grab that book as we try to look at the basics of Christianity, Christianity 101. But you have to make yourself available to be taught as a disciple. And then I want to continue in the reading. We're still in John 6, but I want to go to verses 48 through 51. 48 through 51. A while ago, Jesus said, He who feeds on me, because he had given the analogy that he is the bread of heaven. And so let's look at those verses 48 through 51. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. 
This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one, uh, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Wow. Wow. Hard sayings of the master, I say. They, they give life to those who believe. They give life to those who live this way. Obvious, the reference in the text <clears throat> to the Israelites who left Egypt after the ten miracles performed by Moses by the power of God. In the desert, they wandered for 40 years because of their lack of faith. Please don't wander in Kankakee County for 40 years with a lack of faith. You can have faith in Jesus Christ. You can feed on him as the bread of heaven, and he promises you will have life in his name. Now, uh, we are all faced with this world. We're faced with the carnal. We are faced with the worldly wandering around in this life with nothing but cotton candy if we are denying the power of Jesus in our life. Really, if you're denying Jesus' power, then all you've got are the carnal things of this world. And you might be saying, that's good enough for me. But you will not have life in Jesus' name. And when the trumpet sounds and the voice of the archangel shouts, you will not be part of the calling up. You'll be called up to judgment day, but you won't be going to heaven. It's just that plain. Jesus has spoken. And many claiming to be Christians are guilty of uh, straddling the fence. They feast on the best this world has to offer. They treat Jesus as if he's a fad. They, they treat Jesus as if he's cotton candy. He's a quick fix. They've done something wrong. Their conscience is bothering. And then they go pray a prayer to Jesus, and they come away feeling better, and they go right back to the world living just like they were living before. And Jesus says, no, come, be my disciple. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. I am the bread that will satisfy your hunger as nothing else will satisfy it. <clears throat> Does anybody in the room know what Scrapple is? I didn't say Scrabble, it's a board game. I said Scrapple. You know, that's real popular in Pennsylvania. It's also popular on the Delmarva Peninsula. Anybody knows what the Delmarva Peninsula is? That, that, that's that peninsula out from Washington, D.C., it starts with Delaware, and that's where the Dale comes from. It comes part of eastern Maryland, that's the Mar, and the Va is the lower part, it's the east part of Virginia. And the people over there on the peninsula love to call it the Delmarva. It's everybody together on that. And they eat something there called Scrapple. Well, let me tell you what Scrapple is. It's scraps, and they love it. I had it one time. It was not cooked properly. I've never ate it again. I never ate it again. It is a, a mush of pork scraps and trimmings combined with cornmeal, wheat flour, and spices. And the mush is formed into a semi-congealed loaf. And you slice it and you throw it on a frying pan and fry it up real good. And they love it. We're having scrapple and they come running. It's amazing. My point is this. The God of heaven has called us to a relationship with him, 
and we treat him as if he is scrapple. We treat him as if he's scraps, as, as if he's the leftovers. I'm trying to tell you today to savor the Savior. Jesus is the main course. And when you treat Jesus as the main course, he says in Matthew 6, all these other things will be added unto you. If you pursue these other things on your own and treat Jesus like he's scrapple, congealed scraps, you're not treating him as if he's the Lord of lords and the kings of kings. Come and be my disciple means come and enjoy a relationship that will bless you, help you grow, win the world to Jesus, and one day you will meet him in heaven. Feed on him. Chew slowly. Savor the Savior and live. Secondly today, disciples are not excuse makers. I want you to go back a gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke. That's where we're headed. Let's go to Luke and find out where the ninth chapter is. In the ninth chapter, you're going to read the last words of the ninth chapter of Luke, and it's verses 57 through 62, 57 through 62, the cost of following Jesus. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. They began to make excuses. What is an excuse? An excuse can be to seek pardon or exemption from something. Oh, we just offer excuse. No, I can't. I can't go. You know, that I gotta restring my guitar. Ah, we make up excuses for anything to excuse oneself of their mistakes or their sin. They make up an excuse instead of repenting to make allowances, to serve as an apology or explanation for not doing what we are required to do. And Jesus is setting the terms of discipleship, and he's showing us something very real. 21st century America needs to relearn this text. Quit making up excuses why you're not going to serve Jesus and give him first place in your life. The first one said, I will follow you wherever you go. What did Jesus say to that man? I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, we're not staying at the Ritz-Carlton. We're not staying at the Hampton Inn. We're not even staying at Motel 6. We'll gather up a rock as our pillow tonight. Are you sure you want to follow Jesus? My goodness. The things that we do in this life. David Livingston, a medical doctor, left the comforts of home in England and went to the interior of Africa because he knew what it meant to follow Jesus. What are you willing to sell out? 
What are you willing to give up to follow Jesus? You're not joining a club. We're, we're going into the trenches for Jesus. Vacation Bible School, my friend, is, is part of the trenches. VBS gets busy after you've already put in a day at work. And then hospital visitation. You hear of a church member in the hospital or maybe a loved one at church has died and, and there's funeral home visitation. And there's feeding the hungry and there's preaching the good news. It is not easy peasy. And yet we give our life to Christ and therefore we make ourselves available because I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Church camp is daunting work. Jesus sets the terms of discipleship. <clears throat> there are challenging worldviews that are disappointing when they surface in the church. When, when, the, when the church, the spiritual body of Christ, begins to act worldly, that's disappointing. And then there are social morality conflicts. There are, there are teachings in the world that challenge the Christian's faith. They're not morality issues. They're immorality issues. And it's the immorality that challenges us and makes us sometimes tempted to want to go aside. But we live for Jesus. And we will live for Him. The second one is in verses 59 through 60. 59 and 60 reads, To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, uh, let me first go and bury my father. Let me go and bury my dad. You know, that doesn't seem like a bad request, does it? In fact, I counted it very uh, an honor and a privilege to be able to speak at my dad's funeral and my mother's and for Deb's mom and dad when they passed. What an honor to be able to be there at the funeral of your loved one. And I got another one for you guys. What an honor to be able to carry the, help carry the casket of your grandparents or your mom and dad. What an honor. Be there and, and say, I want to do that. You do the best you can to provide for that body of that loved one. You do your best because that's what we do. But what is Jesus saying here? This is a tough scripture. It is an excuse that Jesus doesn't tolerate. And so some brief explanations. Let me just give you some. But one is, and what I taught for years, is at first glance, it sounds like he's saying, you who are spiritual, you who love the kingdom of God, you go and preach. And you that don't give a flip about Jesus and the church, you, you do all the burying. You take care of it. And that sure does look like a great application. But we look at a second way they looked at it back then. And that was, there were two burials in Judaism. There were two burials. Uh, there was the burial when dad died. Uh, Jesus isn't going to forbid you to be. Jesus went four days to go see Lazarus. He wasn't there for the funeral, but he went there to call his body out of the grave, and Lazarus came back to life. Jesus grieved. That's the text in John 11 where it says, and Jesus wept. First time God wept in Scripture. But nevertheless, the second part is when the body is decomposed and it's in the cave and they've hewn out a rock, that shelf, and, and a time has gone by, they are now going to collect the bones of their loved one and put it in an ossuary. You know what an ossuary is? It's a bone box. 
And that way, they collect the bones of loved ones in the bone box in an ossuary, and then the shell there, the hewn out of rock in the cave, is ready for the next loved one that died. You know, they don't have three million caves in Judea. They've only got so many caves. Nevertheless, the idea is that dad had already died and this potential follower of Jesus wanted to come and serve Jesus, but he needed to follow up on a family obligation. He wanted to bury the bones in the ossuary, and then I will come and help out with the kingdom stuff. <clears throat> Put dad's bones in the bone box in due time. Either way, Jesus is showing, come and be my disciple and what that looks like. Either way, you think it, it, it applies. Jesus is still saying, make hay while it's day. That's what he's saying. He is saying, eat the biscuit while it's hot. The time, the strike while the iron is hot. Batten down the hatches. Jesus is saying, no, we're, we're going. The caravan's moving on, buddy. You're coming with me now or, you, or you're missing out. What are you going to do? And they had to make a decision. And the last illustration about kingdom work is in verses 61 and 62, where it reads, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> wow. Again, church, it doesn't look like it's an unreasonable request. Just uh, give me some time. I want to go back and say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said no. Why do you think Jesus said no? Why did Jesus say no to an unusual request? Well, <clears throat> maybe it's because he knows people. And he knows people love to substantiate our decisions. We like to kick them around, and we like other people to listen to them, and, and they give us some feedback about what we're doing. In other words, we like someone to approve. We like someone to applaud. We like someone to appreciate. And Jesus knew that if this potential disciple would go home, guess what was going to happen? He's going to bust through the door, and he's going to say, Hey, I'm so excited. I'm going to follow Jesus. <clears throat> Dad doesn't even look up from his plate of beans, and he says, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. <clears throat> and Junior just wilts at the door, and he doesn't go and follow Jesus because he didn't find the approval he wanted from home. Have you not noticed that people back home don't celebrate what you're trying to do for Jesus? Jesus says, go anyway. Serve anyway. Love him anyway. Bow before him anyway. <clears throat> Jesus knows something else. He knows that <clears throat> he is the new Lord and master. And we will gain our approval and our applause and our appreciation from him. We have an audience of one. And it is Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we don't need some hellbound, <clears throat> hell-bent man or woman back at the house, going to smart-mouth you because you said you wanted to follow Jesus. Give your life to the Lord and live for Him. Listen, there is no excuse for not serving Jesus. When I was a youth minister, 
in Covington, Virginia. They called that the High Allegheny Highlands, up there in the mountains, an hour above north of Roanoke, Virginia. <clears throat> I had a 650 Yamaha. That thing vibrated bad enough. Not as bad as a Harley, but it vibrated enough. And I went by the Honda dealership. And I went there, and I was on the blacktop with the owner, and, and I was talking to him and told him I was a youth minister and was just looking at Hondas. And the guy <clears throat> said, well, you're a Christian because you don't know any better. <clears throat> well, you know what I was thinking. You're flabbergasted, and you don't know what to think. And he could see it on my face. And he said, no, 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 wait a minute. <clears throat> You're a Christian because you don't know any better. I said, it ain't helping me none. <clears throat> he said, you're a Christian because there isn't any better than Jesus Christ. Amen. There is nothing better than Jesus Christ. Lee Iacocca used to say, if you can find a better product, buy it. There is nothing better than Jesus Christ. And that's why we'll die for Jesus. I cannot die for a fool. I'll not die for a false prophet. But we will go to our grave preaching Jesus Christ. And in church, if you've not come to that conclusion, you need to find that conclusion quickly. Because Jesus has laid down the terms of following him. And when the trumpet sounds worldwide, you're going to be glad you are a disciple of the Lord and serving him. Praise God. There is nothing better than Jesus. <clears throat> when I was about 11 or 12, I wish I remembered the age, but I know I was young enough. I went with the Johnson family out to Tybee Island. Anyone been to Tybee Island? Savannah, Georgia. Uh, we had gone out there to uh, the beach, to the lighthouse, and there was a stronghold. It wasn't a fort. If you've been to Savannah area, you know that there's Fort Jackson, uh, World uh, 1812. Uh, there's uh, Fort Pulaski, Civil War, it's known for. Uh, but this out there was just where they, they mounted cannons in case World War II, any, any ships would try to come up the Savannah River and, and overtake Savannah. And so they, they mounted these guns out there, and boy, as, as little 11, 12-year-old boys, we were ecstatic. We were in heaven to be able to go out there and run all over that big turret and, and act like we were in World War II and that ships were coming in, trying to come into the Savannah River, and we had to protect Savannah. You know what I'm saying, don't you? You can just imagine that. <clears throat> well, as we were going throughout that little stronghold there and high tide washed up, winds, blue sand in there and all. I don't know the conditions, but I was in one room and it was full of sand. And people, I tell you what, I had, I saw the edge of something metal. And I reached down there and I started digging around the sand and I, the sand and I pulled up part of a bombshell. And boy, you want to talk about a 12-year-old boy being happy? I just, I was ecstatic. I got a a piece of a bombshell. And I went and put that thing in the back of the Johnson station wagon. And uh, eventually I got to the house and I put that thing in one of those large brown paper bags like we used to have from the grocery store. And uh, it, that thing made it to Bloomingdale Elementary School where I took it to show and tell 
to tell them we were out there and the, the young archaeologist found this bombshell here and uh, showed it to the class and it back into the paper bag and back to the garage. And uh, I don't know how many years went by, but I think I was about a, a 10th grader in high school and it was my turn to clean up the garage. And I went out there to the garage and I'm cleaning out the stuff we had just kept pushing year after year back and making a bigger mess. And I found that paper bag. And it brought back memories and it brought back joy. And I opened up that brown paper bag and I pulled out that bombshell and I held it up. And in my few years, I gained a little wisdom. And that wasn't a bombshell. That was a piece of sewer pipe. <clears throat> Why did the Johnsons ever let me take a piece of sewer pipe and put it in the back of their station wagon? And why would anybody let a 12-year-old boy take a sewer pipe to school for show and tell? And why a teacher didn't stop me? But I had to grow in wisdom and knowledge as a sophomore in high school and realize, oh my, what have I done? What have I done? Well, let me tell you something. I proclaim to you that one day every last one of us in this room are going to stand before God at the judgment day. And I promise you anything and everything you dedicated your life to is nothing but a sewer pipe in comparison to Jesus Christ. If you put him second or third or fourth or 100th, you lose. He is Lord of lords, and he is king of kings, and he must be number one. And I'll tell you what, don't, don't be packing up your suitcase full of sewer pipes and trying to impress God at the judgment day. You just don't know how far our ball team went, as if God's going to care. You, you just don't know. I rode, I rode the right motorcycle. Everybody else, you know, everything we do is the right one, isn't it? Isn't it? How about tennis shoes? Remember when we, everyone wore uh, the uh, Converse All-Stars? And if you didn't have on Converse All-Stars, you know what you had? You had cat heads. That's what they called them in Savannah, Georgia when I was in high school. You had on cat heads. I became a youth minister, and I was up there in Covington, an hour above Roanoke in the high Allegheny Islands. And if you had on the wrong pair of tennis shoes, you had on oops. Oops, you bought the wrong kind. Everybody's got a label, don't they? But we have got sewer pipes in our hand at the judgment day, and we're not going to make it to heaven when we held on to sewer pipes and we gave up Jesus. We treated Jesus as if he was scrapple, as if he were cotton candy, and you thought the world was meat and potatoes. It's wrong. The bread of heaven has called us to come and be his disciple, and everything else must fade in comparison. A lady asked a preacher one time what was total commitment. The preacher pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket, and he said, Ma'am, that's where you sign your name, right here at the bottom. And you let God fill in the blanks of your life. What are you giving Jesus? What are you giving him? Faith is where we serve Jesus, first and foremost. Faith is where we go where you've never gone. You do what you've never done with resources you don't have. That is faith. Faith is action. And don't be dormant and claim that's faith. The Bible says that it's dead. 
It's dead faith when you're not doing something for Jesus. Live for Him. When David Livingston, the medical doctor and missionary, made his final trip into the interior of Africa, he was a lonely and broken man. His wife had died. One of his children was dead. He was crippled where he had been attacked by a tiger. And when he made that 1,000-mile journey into the jungles of Africa, he walked into his grass hut. He fell on his knees beside that handmade cot, and he prayed, Lord God in heaven, send me anywhere. Only go with me. Lay any burden upon me. Only sustain me. Sever any tie that binds, except for the tie that binds me to thy heart and love. Good prayer. Prayer of a disciple. When he died, the African people walked that thousand miles out to the coast to send his body back to be buried in England. But the natives did something very strange, but very powerful. They cut David Livingston's heart out of his chest, and they buried his heart in Africa because they knew that he was sold out to them. He was sold out to the kingdom of God. And I asked the question this morning, where are they going to bury your heart? Where are they going to bury your heart? Don't bring a suitcase to the judgment day. You're not going to need it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you in thanksgiving for Jesus. He's the bread of heaven. And we have learned to savor him. Father, help those that are trying. And they still have cotton candy in their mouth. They're still holding sewer pipes. Love them, Lord, and I know you do. Help us to grow them up in Jesus. Help us to take that disciple and and mature them and grow them and show them what's what. That they might grow up savoring Jesus as well. I pray, dear God, for men and women, boys and girls everywhere. They'd place their faith in Jesus. They'd give up this world, and they would count heaven as their goal, their home, that they're aliens here, that they're longing to be with you, and they live like it. That we give up the things of the world that you don't like, the things that you disagree with, Jesus, we love you. I pray for folks right now, I pray young and old, that they would come. They would be willing to confess Christ's name here and for every day of their life. They will be a disciple of the Lord. And I pray, dear God, that they'd be willing to go to the watery grave of baptism and die with Jesus. And the old self be buried there. And the new self be resurrected. They would live forever savoring the Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.